Now, we want to continue with our reading and the interpretation from uh, the ninth chapter of the book of Revelation. And we're at the point, we had already made certain comments about the Fifth, uh, the fact that five angels had sounded trumpets, the forms of these judgments. When the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, that's where we are in uh, chapter 9, verse 13. It continues now. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who abound at the great river Euphrates. Uh, for, so, the four, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the, smoke, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts." So let's go back and pick it up at verse 13, the sixth angel sounded. <clears throat> this, of course, is the second woe. There are three woes, as you will recall, and, and uh, these all have to do with demonic-based uh, attacks and uh, demonic-based judgments coming forth upon the earth. Before that, of course, um, there was an environment that precedes all of this. Uh, when, when uh, in the first four of the trumpet judgments, we saw things like the sun being darkened, uh, 
and the moon not giving her light, and so on. And what we saw with that was a climate in the earth in which deception, darkness, the cloak for wickedness and for unrighteous thoughts, unrighteous behavior, all of that descended upon the earth. Keep in mind again, as I have said before, none of this affects those who have been sealed. You'll remember from the from the seventh chapter, before any of the the pourings forth of what would be the wrath of God by way of judgment upon the wickedness of mankind, which judgment, which wickedness had reached the apogee, it was full. Before any of that began to be released, you began to observe that God was protecting His own. He was sealing those with the mark of, uh, and they were sealed by the way, with the mark of the Father on their foreheads, which is to say, you know, people are obsessed with the mark of the beast. Believers should not be. We should not be concerned about the mark of the beast. Why? Because we have the mark of the Father on our foreheads. Now, here again, the book of Revelation is indeed highly symbolic, but it's not so dense and so opaque uh, as to be impenetrable. And the reason is, so many of the things that have been spoken before or spoken in the book of Revelation by symbol has been spoken of before in Scripture, whether directly, by direct reference, or by analogy. So for example, the sealing of the people of God which precludes them or or grants them immunity from the terrifying judgments that are coming upon the earth is analogous to the way that Israel in the land of Goshen in the time of Egypt and the plagues, they were sealed by the blood of, of a lamb, two sides of the door and on the lintel. So the structure of the, of the doorway uh, had the blood on it and it prevented the weaponry that God was using, uh, which is of course uh, the use of destruction and death, even uh, referred to as spirits or angels. These, uh, these destroyers or the destroyer and if you want to extend it, the plagues, did not have an effect upon the people of God in Egypt. Why? Because they were sealed. In a type and shadow of Christ, they were sealed by the blood of a lamb, the reminder of an existing covenant. So as I said, we see the same patterns occurring again and again and again throughout the Scripture. And God does that so that we, when, when we're coming to these not easy to be understood prophetic passages, it's not as though we're taking a shot in the dark. We may walk on the illuminated path of the Word revealed. Now what's interesting of course is that for religion religious people, 
They view the scriptures as a series of statements that have already come to pass or a series of do's and don'ts. They do not in fact see it in the way it ought to be seen, which is a manner in which God is communicating to people on the frequency or the wavelength of the Spirit. The dryness of Scripture to people who view the Scriptures as dry is precisely because they view the Scriptures topically, they see it as a book of rules and or they see it as a book of finished prophetic utterances for the most part. And then they make up things, you know, like the four living creatures, they will say, well, those are the four Gospels. That's a classic Roman Catholic perspective. Well, that's nonsense. Anybody who, who sees the references to the four living creatures say, in the book of, of Ezekiel, same four living creatures in the book of Revelation, could not possibly conclude that we're talking about the four Gospels. But if enough people believe it, then it takes the position of precedent. But silly precedent, albeit precedent, doesn't help you. And in fact, the, the difficulty with, with prophetic scripture is largely a function of the unbelief that is rampant in the church. You see, there was always going to be a price to be paid for relegating the Holy Spirit to a, to a phenomenon of the past, or at best, relegating the Holy Spirit to a theology, a, a person of the Godhead. But other than that, generally, uh, having simply written the Bible or inspired men to write the Bible, and then he sort of took off. And now it's up to us, primarily through our seminaries and through our Bible studies and discussions and the rest of it, controlled by denominational thinking, it's, it's, it's in, in that framework that we lose the, the brilliance and the beauty of Scripture. The brilliance and the beauty of Scripture is that it reoccurs. The same patterns occur again and again and again so that those who are led by the Spirit have a clear picture that this is what God is saying. And in fact, instead of Scripture, unless they're specifically fulfilled, like when Jesus says, this this is what was spoken, uh, or this is what the, the, the Lord and the prophets spoke about me. When, when someone like the Lord Jesus Christ so specifically nails it down, there's nowhere to go with it except to say, this is that. Or when even the prophets are speaking and they say, now these four great beasts that you saw are four kingdoms. Then it's tied in precisely and we're not uh, we're not left to question or to doubt what is being meant. However, the, the mere reoccurrence of patterns in Scripture and the fact that you can identify certain things re referenced in Scripture to certain events in Scripture, 
doesn't mean it's a complete fulfillment. But the point of it is, and the value of understanding the recurrence of Scripture is, this is how God means to communicate with you so that when these Scriptures that are yet to be unpacked are unpacked, you have that aha moment. Here's what Romans 15.4 says, it says, For whatsoever things were written before time, in antiquity, if you like, for whatsoever things were written before time, were written for our learning, so that we, through patience and the comfort of Scripture, might have hope. This is the manner in which prophetic Scripture are especially as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, so that we do not walk in darkness. We who we who are in Christ, who is Himself the Word, whose, whose person has been revealed to us through the Holy Spirit, who was specifically sent to take of what belongs to Jesus and to make it known to us, and that in the timing of the Lord. According to Paul, when he spoke to the philosophers on Mars Hill, he said, God had appointed the times and the seasons in which men are to dwell and has set their boundaries. Unless the Scriptures have internally concluded that a matter has been fulfilled, then we may expect that even though there is a fulfillment of it that is definitive, that there are yet other fulfillments of the same thing. And in that sense, you see, it becomes a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Otherwise, take the times in which we now live. How on earth would we, as the children of God, be comforted by patience and the comfort of Scripture to have hope? If there are no roadmaps, if there are no lighted path for us to walk on, then we are not going to be any different from the people of this present age. And right now, these would be frightening times if we did not understand, the, if we were not given understanding of the prophetic scriptures. So, having the seal or, or having the, yeah, the, the name of the Father, the seal of the Father on the forehead, was the first thing that God did as it related to preserving and protecting the people of God. And my analogy is, again, like in Israel in Goshen in the days of the plagues in Egypt, and specifically in the days of the plagues in Egypt that had to do with the firstborn, the slaying of the firstborn, there was a sealing of those by the blood of a lamb those who were behind the door, a type and shadow, of course, of being in the house of God. So we are, we are granted an immunity from the terrors that stalk mankind in these days of darkness. Now, 
as we proceed from the time of darkness in the first four of the trumpet judgments, we move into, with the sounding of the fifth uh, uh, trumpet, so five, six, and seven, the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets, unveil the demonic, who are very much a part of the judgment that God is bringing upon mankind who has not been sealed. You see, there's always been the sons of God and the rest of mankind. That was true in the days of Noah, the sons of God were in the ark and the rest of mankind were in the water. Now, God intends and intended by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to reap a harvest of, from among mankind, from among the, the sons of men. Now all mankind was created by God and Jesus was given in the fullness of time to redeem mankind. Whoever is redeemed out of every tribe and tongue and language and nation is no longer to be categorized as mankind, but may be categorized as the sons of God, who by definition, biblically, represent a new creation. <clears throat> because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, no longer sons of Adam, no longer part of the general mix of the races of mankind, but now specifically the sons of God. And relative to the sons of God, God has broken down every dividing partition, every wall of separation, so that in this body of Christ, we're one new man, we're one holy race, we are the sons of God. And by, re by reference, of course, just to go back and, and restate this principle, and I believe it's incredibly important that you understand these things as you're approaching the symbolisms of the book of Revelation. Otherwise, you will, even if you are in the body of Christ, but you're not, you've not been taught, then you will wonder what part of this applies to you and what part of it does not. I am telling you, according to the strength of Scripture, on the basis of Scripture, I'm telling you that if you have been sealed with the name of your father on the forehead, which, is, which has to say your mind has been renewed in a fashion that makes it consistent with the mind of Christ. Therefore, you understand in this renewed mind, your identity is different. You are of God, you're a new creation, you are of the family of God, and you're not, you're not destined to come under the judgments of the world that are coming upon mankind in the world simply because you have been taken out of 
one condition and you've been translated into another condition. God has separated you from the kingdom of darkness and He has invested you, He has enfranchised you in the kingdom of God and that comes with benefits that include immunity from the activities of the demonic. You live in the world but you're not of the world. Right? Having made that distinction clear, when the darkness comes by the first four of the trumpet blast, the darkness will be the environment that preconditions mankind to the, 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 the destructive visitations of the demonic. The demonic is literally let out of the abyss. Now keep in mind, although many of the demonic were put into Tartaru as we spoke of earlier, the activities of the demonic are not restricted in terms of the deceiving of mankind. And so this darkness at the end of chapter 8 that comes on the earth is the uncontrovertible evidence of demonic blindness, of deception in which mankind is now indulging every conceivable lust without restraint because the restrainer has been removed. And so the systems of mankind are breaking down and lawlessness becomes the order of the day and that environment of lawlessness then becomes the one into which the demonic coming out of the abyss to actually move around yet in invisibility uh, among humankind stirs and, and, and torments mankind so much so that none of their decisions can find resolution in the results. Uh, everything is everything is subject to change, everything is uncertain and unstable, everything is being shaken. All right? Now, so we talked about the locust and then we go now to that first woe that is passed and then there are two more woes because there are a total of three woes to go with uh, four Uh, other forms of judgment that we've looked at before. These constitute the seven trumpet blasts. Now set up this by saying, the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God saying saying to the sixth angel uh, who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound by the great river Euphrates. and so the four angels who have been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now before we get into what, who the four angels are or what they are and what they do, let me remind you again, the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. Once again I remind you that the saints were under the altar and the saints 
This was back in chapter 6. Saints were under the altar. The saints were crying out to God, asking for vindication. The ones who had been oppressed, tormented, persecuted, and even killed, it was now the time for their vindication. Now, it's not God Himself or the, Lord, or the Lamb who's announcing these things. The voice is coming from where the saints were. They were under the golden altar. This is also the altar of incense. And, and by the way, let me say, the entire structure of the tabernacle in the wilderness and the, tab- and the, the temple of Solomon and the subsequently rebuilt temple, all of that had to do with types and shadows. Because you will see the scriptures in, in, um, in the book of Hebrews says that as long as the earthly tabernacle still remained, it was clear that the true tabernacle, that the actual substantive thing which is in heaven had not yet been revealed. So there's a representation of the thing on the earth, that's the shadow. But when you see the thing in heaven, that's the reality. So like the altar, or rather like the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the box that was ported by the four priests, that's a type and shadow. The reality of that is the, is the actual remembrance of the covenant that that represents. And that is always before God, so there's no forgetting. There is no, in fact, Hebrews 7 tells us this that God, when He commits Himself to covenant and He gives a representation of the covenant, He does that because He wants us who have fled to take hold of the hope that has been offered to us, the type and shadow of which is the symbolic in the earth, does so so that we may be greatly encouraged and that this this type and shadow would reference the more substantive reality and our souls would be anchored by that which is beyond the veil, which is to say that knowing that in this type and shadow we've been given a hope, a, the substance of things hoped for, the, we've been given evidence of things not seen, that we might with all together hold on to the reality that is vested in the type and shadow. So then the, the, the voice that is heard is coming from the golden altar under which the saints are and therefore the, 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 the smoke that ascends from the altar are the prayers of, is, the, is, is the typical, that which typifies the prayers of the saints. So it's the saints who are saying, uh, saying to the sixth angel, the voice under the altar, the voice from the altar is saying to the sixth angel, release the four angels who are bound by the great river Euphrates. That's where we'll go when we continue.